Um, last, uh, last Sunday morning, he threw a 10-digit phone number up on this giant screen behind me and essentially said, ask your questions about the church. Uh, I think I put a few too many parameters on that last Sunday uh, out of sheer terror as to what might ensue. Um, but your questions came nonetheless, and so we're going to get after some of those this morning. Um, let me just say this uh, before I even dive into the few questions that we will uh, get into um, during our time together this morning before we close out this service. If you presented a question and it doesn't get answered in this particular format, that doesn't mean it was a bad question. It just means that uh, we, we have some time constraints. Uh, we can't get to every question. If you want to meet up and bat around the question that you asked that doesn't get answered in this particular format over a cup of coffee, lunch, breakfast, dinner, uh, snacks between meals, I, like I'm happy to, to meet up and do that um, because I think that... Um, we certainly want to be a church that wrestles uh, with questions uh, and, and doubts and skepticism. And so um, every question is a good question. Uh, we can't get to all of them, but let's get to some of them this morning, okay? Uh, question number one, why do we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Um, there is nothing in the New Testament uh, that speaks of the frequency with which to partake of the Lord's Supper. Um, you won't find that uh, in, in the uh, 27 books that make up the New Testament. And so churches uh, have to uh, contextually determine how they're going to make a go at um, participating in the sacraments of baptism and communion. Some churches do so weekly, um, other churches monthly, some uh, even stretch it out to quarterly. Uh, why do we partake of the Lord's Supper every week? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until Jesus returns. So according to the Apostle Paul, um, to partake of the Lord's Supper is to proclaim Jesus' death. It's to proclaim the gospel. It's just one more way to, to put the gospel front and center as we, as we gather as the church. Um, now, we do have to be aware of the challenges in partaking of the Lord's Supper every week. I mentioned this in the sermon. Uh, with frequency, oftentimes comes monotony. And so we have to, to guard against um, becoming complacent uh, as we partake of the Lord's Supper every week. Churches that do it monthly or quarterly um, don't have to guard against that particular issue. But if we can stave off monotony, we have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel in multiple ways every time we gather in this place, through sermon, through song, and through sacrament. So that would be my answer to that one. Uh, another question, who developed the concept of tithing 10%? It's a great question. I'm just going to say that every time I, I throw a question. That's a great question. Like, I'm not going to say, what a dumb question. No, that's a beautiful question. Um, first of all, probably helpful to know that the word tithe, by definition, means 10%. So when you think of the word tithe, think of it as synonymous with a tenth, um, in terms of where the concept of tithing comes from, uh, most people go back as far as the Mosaic Law to argue for the idea of tithing. Uh, tithing was taught as an obligation for God's covenant people. Um, but the concept of tithing actually predates Moses. We saw this when we walked through Hebrews chapter 7 together. Remember that um, light little subject matter on Melchizedek? Um, Genesis chapter 14, we see uh, Abraham give a tithe to Melchizedek, the priest king. Um, you also see in Genesis chapter 28 that Jacob promises to give God, quote, a tenth, one tenth, a full tenth. So the answer to the question in its purest form is 
Tithing goes back to the very first book of the Bible, to the book of, of Genesis. Um, in, in the days of Moses, which is where we oftentimes um, go back to and refer to this idea of tithing um, because we see it in its um, full essence, tithing was a way of supporting the Levites. The Levites, um, they didn't receive an inheritance of land like the other tribes, and so um, that was a way of supporting that particular uh, tribe of God's people. Um, it was essentially a supporting of the priesthood and, and the infrastructure for worship and ministry. Um, because most people don't ask about where the concept of tithing came from without wondering how it relates to us today, let me just briefly address that. How does what was taught in the Old Testament as it pertains to tithing relate to you and I this very morning? Um, for one, and this is socially awkward, um, I did not submit this question myself, by the way. Um, I just want to be crystal clear on that. But it doesn't make it any less true that the supporting of ministers of the gospel, like the Levites in the Old Testament, is a principle you see in the New Testament. Um, in a section where Paul's writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, in, a, in a section that probably most of your Bibles has bold subtitle, Instructions for the Church, um, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Awkward. Um, for the scriptures say, uh, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and, quote, the laborer deserves his wages. So Paul, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 25 and Luke chapter 10, and what he's saying is, like Old Testament Israel supported the Levites, so support your hardworking pastor elders, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, that's socially awkward because who labors in preaching and teaching most uh, for Cross Point Peachtree City? You're looking at him, right? So that, that, is, that is a little awkward, but it doesn't make it any less uh, part of the scriptures. But, but I think the, probably the bigger question, coming back to the original question, is what about the idea of a tithe? Is, is that is one-tenth of our possessions, is that the expectation for us? How should we go about supporting um, the work of ministers of the gospel and the infrastructure of the church today? Um, what I'm not gonna do is go back to Malachi chapter three, like a lot of pastors do, and tell you that you're robbing God if you don't tithe to the church. Um, because I actually think that, that that might be, when we go to that text, I think we may be doing what um, the, the people who received the letter to the Hebrews were in danger of doing which is returning back to the old institution, the, the old religious system. So let me do this. Let me throw out uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 6, where Paul says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The New Testament uh, doesn't uh, explicitly hold us to a tithe to 10%. The, the one place you find the word tithe in the New Testament is where Jesus is saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Um, he, he's really getting after them um, in some sense. Um, what, what, I, what I see in the New Testament is this. It, it seems as if the Apostle Paul and even Jesus himself is doing what Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you have heard it said, uh, you shall not murder, but I say to you, uh, if you're angry with your brother, you're liable to the same judgment. Uh, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look with lustful intent upon a woman, um, then you have committed adultery in your heart. You have heard it said, you shall give one-tenth of your possessions, but I say to you, let's take a look at the human heart in light of the gospel and make our determinations based on that. 
which is why I think you see um, the, the language in the New Testament of giving cheerfully and sacrificially. It's a matter of getting to the, to the heart. Um, we give joyfully because Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, Hebrews chapter 12. And so we give joyfully in response to Jesus' joyful giving of himself for us. Jesus' giving of himself was sacrificial. It didn't just hurt his wallet. It hurt his relationship with the Father in a moment in human history. Um, It it hurt his wrists and his feet as the nails were driven in. So we give sacrificially in response to Jesus' sacrifice of himself for us. And so I would say it this way. Rather than lessen our generosity, the gospel should compel compel our generosity all the more. The gospel brings us face to face with the radical generosity of God toward us in Christ, which is why you see 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Um, I'll I'll leave you with a quote to close out this question, and then we'll get to one more. I think we have time for one more. Um, John Piper says it this way, and I think it it captures our study of uh, of Hebrews so well. He says, We should value our riches in Christ in this new covenant relationship so highly and our freedom from sin so highly and our gospel so highly that we would simply love to give, that we would outgive those who lived under the law because we have a better covenant and a better promise. Everything is greater with Christ. Why wouldn't giving be greater? If other questions just kind of come to your brain in light of the answers to these, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. There's an opportunity to to ask those, and we'll, we'll tease out some of the implications of those in subsequent weeks. But let me get to one more this morning, and, and then we'll, we'll move on, close out our time together. question is this. Who is involved in the decision-making process regarding such things as the direction of this church, how the income is stewarded, uh, etc.? Uh, for those of you who, who may not be aware, there are two things that help to, to answer this question. One, uh, we are... Uh, part of a multi-congregational church made up of seven congregations. And so even as I answer this question, if I use the language of Cross Point Peachtree City, I'm talking about this congregation specifically. And if I use the language of Cross Point Church, I'm talking about uh, across the spectrum of all seven congregations as one. So we're a multi-congregational church. Secondly, we're, we're an elder-led church, and that's based on, uh, I don't have time to read these passages this morning, but you can read 1 Timothy 3, uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, and you can um, get, get an idea of the various offices of the church um, according to the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. But what that means is that we have uh, pastor elders on the ground in each of our seven congregations, And then we also have a central elder team that oversees the one church, Cross Point Church. Tracking with me? Um, And so take our budget, for example. Um, With respect to our budget, every year, uh, each congregation's eldership puts together a budget. We have checks and balances uh, that that help us uh, in terms of guardrails so that we don't go off the rails, so to speak. And then we present that budget uh, at a congregational level to that central elder team for approval so that by the time a budget is approved for a 12-month cycle for a fiscal year, you might say, um, multiple sets of eyes have been on that budget, um, multiple sets of lips have spoken wisdom into that budget, and then we actually put that budget into place and we operate with it for 12 months and we come back around and we go through the, the exact same process all over again. Um, with respect to 
uh, the direction of the church. Um, th- this is maybe a little bit more uh, challenging of a question because uh, when you get into to various categories, ministry areas, um, because there's, there's such uniqueness to every ministry area, some of those things get teased out uh, in, the, in the details a little differently so that um, I would encourage you if this question, uh, the way I'm answering it doesn't answer your questions, ask specific questions in the weeks to come about particular areas of ministry for us as a congregation, and, and we'll be able to get a little deeper in the weeds on that. But, but let me just say this, um, kind of at a high altitude level as it pertains to decision-making. Um, we're a part of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, um, for those of you who are not aware of that. And just being a part of that church planting network means that we are unwaveringly committed to certain things as it pertains to the direction that the church is going. We're committed to the centrality of the gospel. We're committed to the sovereign grace of God. We're committed to the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit for all of life and ministry. We're committed to both the equality and uniqueness of men and women. We're committed to a missionary understanding of the local church and a commitment to church planting. I I took that directly off the homepage of acts29.com. So you can go there and you can read those exact same things. So that that creates some guardrails as it pertains to the direction that our church is going on a macro level. Um, And then you add to to that the fact that we're part of Crosspoint Church, the one church. And that means that we're uh, unwaveringly committed to certain things in addition to those things I just mentioned with respect to A29. Uh, things like helping to fund church plants within the Crosspoint family, preaching together through portions of the Bible so that um, whenever I, I stand before you week in and week out and we open the book of Hebrews together, um, that's not just one man's study. That, that is multiple people coming together with uh, dozens of commentaries and, and quotes and processes of thoughts being brought together um, so that uh, I cannot take credit for everything that you hear on Sunday mornings. That is wisdom collectively. Um, we're committed to a shared doctrinal foundation and statement of truth, a shared theological vision, shared ministry expressions, um, shared ministry DNA, like when we use our language of the gospel rhythms, um, we, we share that. And so because we're a part of a, a family, Crosspoint, and a network, Acts 29, we have two sets of guardrails to keep us from taking the church down um, dangerous paths directionally in terms of, of things like gospel centrality, doctrinal distinctives, um, theological vision. But the beauty of our structure and model is that, that there is also great freedom in a decentralized way to contextualize ministry on the ground. Obviously, um, Peachtree City is very different than urban Orlando, which is where uh, one of our congregations is planted. And, and so... Uh, those, uh, this is how I'd word it. Those contextualized congregational decisions are made by local elders who are listening to local partners. It's probably the best way that I could explain it and then get into the weeds in particular ministry areas of the church to further tease that out. So again, ask your questions if you want to get into specifics in the coming weeks. But essentially, partners helped to shape the way that we partake of the Lord's Supper now. You'll notice that that's different than how we partook of it three months ago. Um, partners shaped that. Um, Partners actually helped to shape um, the fact that we're doing a four-week series on the church. Uh, So uh, there there is an an ear to the ground, so to speak, listening to what partners particularly are saying. And then also um, outside of partnership, the the assembled people um, in this space week in and week out at large um, to then uh, determine what direction do we need to go? What do we need to... um, to teach on, to bring clarity to, to emphasize based on what we're hearing as we're putting ears to the ground to listen. Um, but, 
Because we're an elder-led church, the ultimate responsibility um, falls on the eldership of Crosspoint, Peachtree City, if that makes sense. Um, the, again, the, the direction of the church, um, a difficult question to answer because um, how that plays out in our kids' ministry, a little different than how that plays out in terms of preaching series and so forth and so on. So please ask your questions and specifics moving forward into subsequent weeks. But the one thing that remains consistent uh, in all of it is that we are a congregation led by elders listening to partners um, and we're part of something bigger than us that, that keeps us from veering off of the beaten path into dangerous waters that would warrant Jesus writing us a letter like he did to the seven churches in uh, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. So, up on the screen, there's that 10-digit number all over again. We're going to do this again for two more weeks. Um, send your questions in, whether they come to your mind today, later in the week. Um, we'd love to, to hear uh, what you're curious about as it pertains to, to both the church at large um, and this particular expression of Jesus' bride, Crosspoint, Peachtree City. doesn't matter whether they're questions that are connected to the, the three that we looked at this morning or not. Um, I, I could totally see how you might go, well, okay, I hear the thing about supporting pastors, but didn't Paul make tents? So what do we do with that? And now all of a sudden we're in a new question and, and, and we can happily go there. We can also explore new territory. Um, I'll leave that to you, but that's the number. would love for you to, um, to send in your questions this week and we'll continue to try to get after some of this stuff. And again, if your questions are not being answered in this particular format, doesn't mean that it's a bad question. It means we need to go grab coffee and hang out and, and let's uh, bat that question around. So, um, little awkward to come out of this into a benediction, but let's attempt to do it. Um, if you will, stand with me, and we will close out the service this morning and go out and actually be the church in this community and the surrounding areas. So uh, the benediction this morning, uh, very simply, is this. As you leave this place, may God awaken your heart to the beauty of the full picture of who Jesus is and who we are in him as his redeemed. Go and be the church. Love you guys.